Let us ask for God's blessing this morning. O gracious and triune God, you have been gracious to reveal yourself to us through your word. And so, Lord, as we open that word together, as we break the bread of that word together this morning, let us uh, see Jesus through that. Let us see truth about ourselves and help us to grow in Christ. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do your work in this church, and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And the title of the sermon this morning is Jesus Meets Two Disciples. Hear now the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need for only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. An excerpt from Ben Witherington's book, Encounters with Jesus. I admit the story does not display me in the best possible light, but you may have forgotten just how important hospitality was in our world and how it was not every day one got to have a famous Jewish healer and teacher in one's house. Furthermore, I had been trained to be a good hostess, and it seemed quite unfair for Mary to simply sit in the larger room soaking up Yeshua's wisdom while I was slaving away, cooking things for our meal. One day, Jesus met two disciples. How do you feel about this story? When I was reading that, what's your reaction to the story? Do you like this uh, text of Scripture, this pericope, this little uh, story, this vignette of Scripture? Do you like it? Or does it rub you the wrong way? Is there something about it you dislike? This is one of those texts that tends to get some type of reaction from people, positive or negative. And and there seems to be uh, some uh, role of gender in how you might respond uh, to this text. For example, as I was studying it, I have learned that many women hate this story. And perhaps you are among those who hate this story. Uh, Frances Taylor Gensch writes of this. She writes of particularly women's reaction to this story. She writes this. She says, Some hail it as one of the most liberating texts for women in the Gospels in that it reflects an opening for women within the circle of Jesus' disciples and challenges traditional expectations about women's roles. Others, however, find it oppressive in that it pits sisters against each other, establishes a good woman, bad woman dualism, and presents a seemingly ungrateful Lord as devaluing the hospitality that a hard-working woman proffers. Indeed, whenever women gather to discuss it, at least one usually expresses the following sentiment, I have always hated this story. How about you? How do you feel about this story? you love it or do you hate it? Well, this morning I hope to convince you uh, 
persuade you to love it, at least to find a new appreciation for it, or at least, at the very least, not to hate it so much. And I hope to do that by convincing and persuading you that much of the hate for this text arises from a fundamental misunderstanding of what it actually is teaching us. So let's look at this text this morning. And the way we'll do that is by looking at three different views, three different perspectives of this text, three different ways of looking at it. And the first two views are really why people hate this text. I'll talk about those two views. And then the third and final view is what I would offer as a way of, of seeing why you shouldn't hate it and to see in it a valuable Christian lesson for us and our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. So let's look at three views of this text this morning. The first view is the traditional view. And one of the reasons many people hate this text is because of this traditional view of this text, how it has been traditionally understood, how it has been traditionally framed, how it has been traditionally preached by by ministers of the gospel. And what, is, what marks that traditional understanding is this strict dualism between these two women, between Mary and Martha, a dualism that pits them against each other, that makes it Mary versus Martha. This is how the story goes, right? It's this Mary v. Martha. You see Mary there. She's sitting at Jesus' feet. She's listening to his words. She's focused on the one thing, the right thing. She's commended for it. She's described and portrayed in this role of a disciple. And then you have Martha. Presumably working in the kitchen, although the text doesn't tell us that. She's distracted, right? Full of all these cares and troubles. She's focused on many things, the wrong things. She gets rebuked for it. She gets rebuked for, quote-unquote, women's work and fussing around. You see the dualism there, right? That's usually how the story is told, emphasizing uh, what these two women, the differences, and, and really Martha gets the worst of it, right? And most of the sermons on this. Frances Taylor again summarized kind of this story, how it gets pitched in the pulpit. She said this, she said, Thus the scene is envisioned as follows. While Mary has her buns on the floor, so to speak, Martha has her biscuits in the oven and can use some help. That's kind of how the sermon is preached. Buns and biscuits. And preachers and commentators who predominantly look like me uh, kind of have only made this worse, right? There's kind of this exaggeration of this dualism and understanding of Mary and Martha that kind of really pits them against each other. And then we kind of fill it up with our own kind of uh, views of roles of people, right? And there's a, obviously some level of an undercurrent, a latent, maybe overt sexism kind of that comes out of all of that. Lovely Alexander, she talks about this, about people like me, uh, male preachers. She writes this about how it's been preached. She says, male preachers, in my own experience, rarely avoid falling into this trap. Martha was fussing, they say, looking down from the pulpit onto their predominantly female audience about unnecessary female concerns, and we all know, they add, before going home to their well-cooked Sunday dinners, how women do fuss. That's kind of how it's done, right? That's why some people hate this story. I, uh, just to kind of show you this, um, how this gets preached, I did a little test. I've typed in Luke 10, 38 to 42, sermon. 
And uh, I took the first sermon that popped up, assuming this is what Google is the most searched thing, right? So this is what came up. This is what the sermon said about this text. Mary and Martha are two women in Scripture who supported our Lord's earthly ministry. In Luke 10, 38-42, we read the familiar story of Martha getting upset with Mary because she was not helping her. Ultimately, Jesus commended Mary and corrected Martha. This story is one of opposites. Maybe you know a Martha or a Mary. Martha is a homemaker. She is hospitable and hardworking, but she's not happy. She's distracted, worried, pulled in many directions, uptight, and upset. That's how it's preached. I even found in one commentary a suggestion that I should reach out to the women of the congregation who identify as Marthas and have them speak about their struggles and, you know, uh, in the church about what that's like and how they had their merry moment. Anybody want to do that, by the way? <laughs> Any takers? I think you get the picture, right? This is uh, why some people hate this story. And so that really boils down to one of the reasons people hate it is because Mary's painted as a hero, Martha's painted as a villain, it's black and white, and many people dislike that, particularly that Martha is treated so poorly, seemingly, in this text, and so they hate it. That's one reason. That's view number one. That's a traditional view, how it's usually pitched, how it's usually preached. But there are other reasons why people hate this text. There's even more. That's view number two which I'll call the feminist view, or I better state it, a feminist view. There are obviously more than one. But many feminist scholars hate this text too. And you would think immediately uh, they, they would hate it for the same reason, about how Martha is treated in this text. But it really isn't for them about how Martha is depicted. Their beef is with how Mary is depicted in this text. And that seems counterintuitive, Right? I mean, isn't Mary the good one here? Isn't Mary the one who gets commended? Isn't Mary at the feet of Jesus in the position of a disciple? That was shocking in Jesus' world. Right? That is not just a throwaway phrase to be at the feet of Jesus. Paul describes himself in Acts 22.3 as learning at the feet of Gamaliel. It's the place of a student of theology, of a disciple, of a teacher who's expected to become a teacher himself or herself. So this is, seems like, well, why would you have a problem with how Mary's depicted? Or isn't she the one who's depicted well in this text? Well, it's interesting, in the view of some feminists, they view this as, rather than liberating Mary, that it circumscribes her role, that it actually limits what she does. And this is basically the argument that they make. First, they say, look, this is a private scene, right? It's in a house. This is not in public. Yeah, she can do this in private, but not in public. Secondly, she's entirely passive, right? She's just sitting there. She doesn't say anything. She doesn't dialogue with Jesus. And then thirdly, and most importantly, they argue that she doesn't get to do anything with this. Her public role as far as a commission or going out with the disciples and sharing the gospel, at least in their, in their perception of the text, that she has no commission to preach or lead a missional effort. And so they don't like how she's depicted. They hate it because of Mary. Some hate it because of Martha. And in this view, it even goes to the point of discussing a classic feminist dilemma. That is, when they look at this text, they say, women can't win no matter what they do. That this text shows that. Listen to um, Sharon Ring. She speaks about this, the story of Mary and Martha, and how she talks about this, how they both lose. This is what she writes about Martha. 
Martha, who welcomes Jesus and expends considerable energy in providing hospitality for him and those traveling with him, is called distracted and worried. She is blamed for doing what she should have been expected to do in her society. Furthermore, she is portrayed as whining to the man, Jesus, about her sister's failure to help her instead of resolving the matter herself woman to woman. Instead of receiving a blessing as someone who welcomes Jesus and his followers, she receives a scolding. Martha loses. Loses for doing what she's expected to do. What about Mary? Well, this is what she writes about Mary. Mary fares no better. She gets to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching, just as the male disciples do, and she's praised by Jesus for it, but she is a silent learner. She poses no questions to Jesus. She does not interact with him as the male disciples do. Unlike male disciples who are described as learning from Jesus and who then are charged to carry the message to others, Mary gets no commission to preach, no speaking part whatsoever. Whatever may have been Jesus' relationship with women followers, Luke allots them a carefully circumscribed role. Mary loses too for doing what's not expected of her. You see the problem. They both lose. And that's why some people hate this text. Some people hate it because of Martha. Some people hate it because of Mary. But everybody seems to hate this text. So is there any way out of this? Is there anything valuable in this text? Is there anything that we can we exegetically save this text from being doomed here? Well, there is a third view that I will submit to you this morning. And for lack of a better title, I will call it the complementary view. The complementary view. And I want to credit and attribute uh, great work here to Frances Taylor Gensch. Uh, she helped to open up insights into this text and her book, Back to the Well, a great book. So this is what this view is. As we've talked about, she points out how the traditional view pits these two women to get against each other, right? And emphasizes this dualism, and really the feminist view does as well. It's pitting these two women against each other in strict dualism. And we do that, uh, you know, in, in, in these ways, and what she's suggesting is we need not see them that way. That really, what Mary and Martha are, are complementary to one another. Let me give you the argument. The argument is this text is at its core about discipleship. I called it Jesus Meets Two Disciples. It's a text about discipleship. And Mary and Martha represent effective disciples. They both represent effective disciples of Jesus. They're just teaching us about different sides of the discipleship coin, if you will. Right? If you think about discipleship as having a two sides like a coin, they provide different sides of one coin. One side is about service and doing. That is what, Mar what Martha does. And one, the other side is about learning and contemplating. That's Mary. And the point of the text is that we need them both. That the Christian life is about both. That discipleship is about both. That the church should be about both. And so what we need to do here is to see them in unison together as two sides of one coin. We need all of us to listen, learn, grow, serve, and do. And what this text is about is less about competition between the two women or models of discipleship and more about a complementary vision of discipleship. That's the view. And I think it's right. But you might be saying to me, okay, well, that's all well and good, Pastor Boy. We appreciate you trying to reconcile this, but doesn't Jesus endorse 
one side of that coin over the other? The contemplative over the service? I mean, Mary over Martha? This is what Jesus says. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted about many things. There is need for only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Sounds like Mary wins. So what do you make of that, pastor boy? That's a good question. Well, this is where I think we're helped by context. This is where context really helps us to interpret this scripture. Do you know what story, what account immediately precedes this text? Anyone know that? It's Luke, the, the, the pericope before is Luke 10, 25 through 37. If you got your Bibles open, you'll know it. I can give you a hint. It's the most well-known parable in the world. The Good Samaritan. Well, that's kind of interesting, right? Right before this text, what immediately precedes it in its context is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, what does the parable of the Good Samaritan emphasize? It emphasizes service and doing, right? It overemphasizes it. Think about the story. What do you have in that story? You've got a priest, you've got a Levite, you've got a Samaritan, Right? What do the priests and Levites do all day long? They worship God. They study theology. All of these good things, right? But what did they get wrong? The one needful thing in that moment that someone was hurting and they walked right by him. And the Samaritan gets it right. It's a parable that emphasizes to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to serve and you have to do. And it overemphasizes it to make, the very, to make that very point. And then right on the heels of it in Luke's gospel, we find this story of Mary and Martha. And I believe this is the counterbalance to that. The other side of the discipleship coin. It reminds us of the importance of contemplation and theology and learning. And so we find Mary at the feet of Jesus being commended for that work instead of the work of being busy about service and, and doing. It's the balance to that other story. It reminds us that we need both of them. They're not at odds with each other. They are complementary. They are complementary to one another. In fact, you can even argue that they enable one another. That's exactly what Augustine argued. He argued that Martha's service allowed Mary's contemplation. Think about that. Augustine said, Martha has to set sail in order that Mary can remain quietly in port. It's true. You need the biscuits to have the buns, right? That's kind of the story. And that's true in life. That's true in the Christian life. That's true in the church. And then think about Mary. Is our idea that this is what she should be doing all the time? They're sitting at Jesus' feet, never doing anything else? Calvin spoke about that very point in his commentary. He says, does this mean that she did nothing else, speaking of Mary, throughout her whole life? On the contrary, the Lord enjoins his followers to make such distribution of their time that he who desires to make proficiency in the school of Christ shall not always be an idle hearer, but shall be put in practice what he has learned. For there is a time to hear and a time to act. It's James, right? Be hearers and doers of God's word. Be doers of the word, not merely hearers. But the point is you've got to hear it too. But this is the point Jesus is making. Martha helped Mary do what she needed to do. And in turn, Mary wasn't expected just to do that. It's two sides of one discipleship coin. And there we find the valuable lesson, I think, for us. 
for we Christians here in the 21st century. We need both. This is a lesson for us. It's really a lesson about discernment, about when you should be doing what. Isn't that the real problem? Isn't that really what Jesus' rebuke of Martha is about in this text? She's not reading the room. She's not understanding the moment. It's not like she was doing bad things or unnecessary things, but she was out of balance, missing something in that moment. And sometimes we do the exact same thing as a church and in our Christian life. We get out of balance with one of these two sides, the hearing and and doing, right? One of those two sides gets out of balance. We pit Mary versus Martha, right? In our church, in our lives as Christians, we shouldn't be doing that. And if we do it, we get out of balance. It's kind of like a ship where you kind of, where, you know, the weight is distributed improperly and the ship kind of lists because it's improperly balanced. Or like having a rowing a boat and you only have one oar, right? If you, if you emphasize only one side, what is going to happen to you? You're going to go in circles. And that happens in our Christian lives. And it happens in the church. So I think the thing we should ask ourselves this morning from this text is really to look at our own lives. And to ask ourselves, where, where am I out of balance in this? What's my emphasis? Now, some, we're all going to be calibrated differently, right? We're all going to be, lean to one of these things or to the other, right? Some of us love theology. Some of us love learning the scriptures. Some of us are geared that way. I'm I, I, guilty, right? So I, I'm in that class of people. Then there's people who are just geared to service and, and doing, and they want, that's who they are. And in a, big, in a church, right, you can have these, these kind of differences and emphasis in each of our lives, but we shouldn't live without any kind of balance there. And sometimes when we get so out of balance, it becomes unhealthy. So which one are you? When you look at this, what is your overemphasis in your life? And usually you can kind of find out. If you said, All right, what's wrong with this church is this, right? And, and if, you, if, you, if you say, what's wrong with this church is we don't do enough service, you might need more learning, right? And if it's and vice versa, is true. But what is it for you? Where are you out of balance in your life? Is it that you need more study or more service? We need both. So if you're given to doing the doing side of things, kind of the Martha side, the Good Samaritan side, perhaps attend more to hearing. Think about that balance in your life. Read your Bible. Grow in doctrine. Attend the preaching of the Word regularly. Participate in a Bible study, connection group, or Sunday school. We desperately need more of that in our church. People who want to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn. And if you're given more to the hearing side, more to the Mary side, perhaps you need to attend more to doing, to, to grow in your service to Christ, to volunteer at church. We have a lot of things to volunteer for. We need ushers, we need coffee people, we need nursery people, we need children to worship people, we need help with cadets and gems and Sunday school. And then outside the church, we need help at Rochester Family Mission and School 33 and Flower City. I, we can come up with a whole list. And we desperately need more of that. The point is, we need balance. We need Mary. We need Martha. We need disciples who hear and do. We all need to work on that. Because when you meet Jesus, that's what he asks you to do. He asks you to learn from him, to allow him to be your teacher, 
and then he sends you out to do, to do in his name. That's what we do when we meet Jesus. We need both. Mary and Martha are two sides of one discipleship coin. They're not in conflict. They're complementary to one another. And I think that's what Jesus wants us to see in this text. I'll close with this quote from Fred Craddock. If we censure Mary too harshly, she may abandon serving altogether. And if we commend Mary too profusely, she may sit there forever. There's a time to go and do. There's a time to listen and reflect. Knowing which and when is a matter of spiritual discernment. If we were to ask Jesus which example applies to us, the Samaritan or Mary, his answer would probably be yes. That's the truth. That's what this text is teaching us. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you teach us in your word that you call us to live a full life of discipleship, to learn from you, to hear from your word, to follow your teachings, to listen to them and to grow in them, to grow in knowledge of your scriptures, and that you also call us to do and to serve, and that even in doing that service, we can enable learning and growing and bringing more people into your kingdom. So God, help each and every one of us to find that spiritual discernment, to read the spiritual moment, to read the room, and to know whether we should be at your feet or we should be busy serving you. And Lord, we know that the answer is to that is both. Yes. Thank you, God, for revealing yourself to us. And help us to live as your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.